0: Well, good morning, church. How are you? It is good to see you. It really is. I know a lot of us uh, might have been out for vacations during the summer, and it's great always when the school year gets back to see everybody back together. And so I'm glad that we get to worship together today. Uh, hey, before we jump into uh, the sermon for today, wanted to give uh, an update. We got lots of those today. But I want to update you, uh, you um, a lot of you guys on somebody, if you've been here for a while, you've heard about, but I want to update you about Multiply. Uh, If you were here, uh, if you've been here a while, that name is familiar to you. But for those of you who are new, something uh, interesting has been happening with us over the past three to four years. Uh, Over four years ago, God led us to begin a new work of a second campus down in the Chelsea area. As we've been planning for that, we got it all started. We sent hundreds of people down to get it started. But one of the things that they really needed was a building to help get them started. And we wanted to be a part of that. And so three years ago, uh, we started the capital campaign. They said, hey, we wanted to raise some money on top of our tithes and offerings, not only to help the Chelsea campus uh, get up and running with the building, but also to provide money for local ministries and also to tackle some of the debt uh, here at Mount Laurel. Uh, and this past June, we actually ended that campaign. We finished our full three-year campaign. And I just wanted to say thank you to every single one of you who's been a part of that campaign, who faithfully gave. And I really just want to brag on you a little bit because the end of our campaign, I am excited to report uh, that you guys raised over $4.6 million on top of tithes and offerings over the past three years. That is almost 90% of the pledges that were coming, that by any measure, that is a stunning number of success. And I just wanted to praise the Lord for what you guys have done. That is amazing. And look, put that number in context. I want you to think about the last three years. It's been nuts, Right. It has not been a normal three years. And in the midst of all of that chaos, we actually exceeded our giving, our our budgeted giving for the past three years. So we met budget and more some. And then on top of that, you guys gave four point six million dollars to these different projects. That is a stunning amount of generosity and faithfulness on your part. And I am so thankful to the Lord and thankful to you for what God has done through you. Now look, you said, where did all that money go? Well, the lion's share of it went to help us get the building off the ground. Didn't pay for the full building, obviously, but the lion's share got that up and running off the ground. Half a million of those dollars went to local charities over the last three years. We poured half a million dollars on tons of local charities right here in the Birmingham area. And then $1.3 million of that actually took down our debt right here at the Mount Laurel campus. And so we still right at just a million dollars. We're almost done with our debt right here, but 1.3 million of that was taken off of our debt. And so listen, this has been a rousing success, but I am so grateful and so thankful for what the Lord has done through you through your consistent faithfulness and generosity. And so look, as you think about these things, as you drive down 280 and see that building, just know, man, these are pictures of your faithfulness and what God not only has not already has done, but what he's going to continue to do through us, through our second campus, through all these ministries in this area for years to come. So thank you, thank you, thank you for your faithfulness. But now I do want to jump in for today. So grab your Bibles if you will uh, and let's go to Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 is where we're going to be today. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Hopefully you've got a copy of God's word there with you. If not, maybe a device that you can look at. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 is where we're going to be in just a second. As we jump into a a short series called Core. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. While you guys are turning there, uh, unless you have been living under a rock, you know that this week has been the first week of school. Uh, Even if you don't have children of your own, if you're on social media at all, or if you've been driving down any of the roads that have been backed up with all the school buses and everything else that have been happening, we now know that school is back in session. Uh, But if you are on social media, then you have seen the parade of pictures from the first day of school. Isn't that always fun? We got all these pictures with kids saying, hey, I'm heading off to X grade as they head off to school. And let's be honest, it's a little shocking, is it not? It's shocking when you see these pictures, because why are these children this old, right? How can they be this tall? How can they be this old? It might be that you haven't seen a picture of this child since last year, and you see the difference. You say, they're so much bigger. How can they be going into that grade? And look, all throughout this week, I'm sure there's just been a mix of emotions, is there not? There's always a ton of emotions on the first week of school. First off, there's some tears, are there not? I mean, moms, I mean, there's some tears when you got to send your kid off to school, right? Especially if you're sending your kid off to college, right? And they're not going to be at home like they have been. Or maybe they're, they're heading off to a new school or into a new grade. I mean, there's some tears just seeing how big they've grown. They're not as young as they used to be and they're getting older. So there's some tears, but but also some pride. Right? Some rightful pride as you say, man, my kids are growing up. Man, they're doing well. Man, they're moving on to this, this next stage. And so there's some rightful pride in, in what they've already accomplished and what they're about to accomplish. Uh, There's some fear on the first week of school that's usually in the part of the students, right? Uh, Because it's a little bit scary to move into a new realm, right? Uh, You might have students that are moving over to Oak Mountain for for the first time. Maybe they're heading up into high school. Maybe they're heading up into elementary school or kindergarten or heading off to college. Look, when you head into a new environment, it's a little scary, is it not? Because you walk in like, hey, I don't know my teachers. I don't know my schedule. I don't know where to go for everything. I don't know where everybody sits in the cafeteria. I don't, I don't know the rules yet of what I'm supposed to do. And so there's a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of fear as you walk in. But hopefully, for all of us, there's also just a little bit of excitement, is there not? Because it's a brand new year. You've got a brand new opportunity Man, there's new opportunities ahead of you. There's new things that you're going to learn, new things that you're going to be allowed to do, encouraged to do. It's a brand new opportunity. And on the first week of school, man, all of that is kind of rolled up into one. But look, whether you have kids of your own or not, whether your kids are up and grown whether you're just looking at grandkids or you're just seeing kids uh, here at the church or kids that, you know, man, whether this has been a big week for you for, because it's the first week of school or not. I guarantee you we are all feeling some of those same emotions as we as a church head into a new year, because that's honestly where we are as a congregation, we as a congregation are about to step into not just a new calendar year with school, but a new opportunity that God is offering to us. Because truth be told, we are entering into a new phase. We are a new church, a different church than we ever have been before. I mean, look, look around the room. Whether you've been here forever or not, or this is your first time here, this is a new gathering of people. We are a different church than we were three years ago, are we not? We just are. It's different if you're a long-time member. I mean, it does not look the same. There's a lot of different people. I saw this clearly when I came back from sabbatical. Uh, I talked about this last year, but when I, at the beginning of the summer, I had a six-week sabbatical. And being away for six weeks and then coming back, I mean, it was kind of stark. I was so happy to see so many familiar faces, but then I saw so many of us that I don't know as well. And it wasn't a few of you. It was lots of us, Right? Because we are a new conglomeration of people. And look, there's a lot of emotions tied up in that, right? And, I mean, there's a little bit of tears, right? Because like, man, well, wait a minute, I, I liked the way it was. I liked what we had. And so it was like, man, I, I thought, I mean, can't we just go back there? And you, you can't, any more than your kids are going to get any younger. We, we can go back, but there's also some rightful pride. We can be proud of what the Lord has done, just like with multiplying and, and all the different things. There's some, some pride in what we've seen the Lord do, but... I bet there's a little bit of anxiety in that. If you're a first-time guest, I know you probably felt that today because you walk into a brand-new room, you, you don't know everybody. It's like, where does everybody sit? Like, what are the rules? Who am I supposed to talk to? What, how do things work in this place? You might even feel that way if you've been here for years. There's a little bit of anxiety. It's like, hey, man, the, the community groups are different. There's all these, these different things going on. But my prayer is that for all of us, there's also some excitement. Because here's what I know to be true. The Lord is not done with us by a long shot and he has amazing, incredible opportunities sitting in front of us, us, this group of people right now for what he's about to do in us. And just like that first day of school when you've got all these possibilities open to us, we as a congregation, this congregation, this particular grouping of people, God has very specific things that he has chosen us for, for this place, for this time, and he is inviting us into And that is exciting. So as we begin to contemplate that and begin to kind of walk into that, I think it's important for us to go back to our core values. What is it that makes us who we are? As we're kind of reconnecting as a body of believers, what are the values that really define who we are? We have three core values here at the church. They are maturity, community, and charity. You can see them emblazoned on the columns outside. We put them there on purpose. They are maturity, community, and charity. What does that mean? Well, first off, maturity. Uh, We want to be Christ-centered in all that we do. That we literally want everybody to be growing up in their faith, to be becoming full-fledged members of Christ, growing in Christ. We want to be a church that is centered in Christ above all. Secondly, community. We want to be Christ-connected. We don't simply want to be a group of individuals or a crowd, but literally we want to be a family of faith. We want to be connected by Christ through his Holy Spirit, through real, rich community. We want to get to know each other, live our lives together, because God is calling not just individuals, but all of us together. And then finally, charity. That word means love The love that God pours out into us, we are Christ commissioned to pour that love into one another and into the world at large and our community at large. We want to share the love of Christ with everyone around us, maturity, community, and charity. These things drive everything that we do as a church. So just for three short weeks, we're going to be going over those three core values. And I want to show you where they come from here in Scripture. You ought to be there in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. And all three of these values are right here in this passage. And so I want you to kind of look through here, and as we read, see if you can pick out those three core values as we read. So here we are, Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. Listen to what it says. It says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We're going to be in this passage for the next three weeks, and so I hope that you'll take some time to really kind of pour over it, kind of dive in and see what the Lord is saying. But this week, we're going to be looking at maturity. But before I even look at that one, let's talk about this passage as a whole. This passage is right here at the beginning of chapter 4, and we find ourselves in the middle of the book of Ephesians. If you've read the letter of Ephesians, you kind of know that in the first few chapters, Paul really talks about theology. He's gone over who we are as believers in Christ, that we have been saved by grace through faith. He then talks about who we are as a group. We are unified in Christ as a body. So he really talks about theology in the first couple chapters. And then after this passage, he's going to get super specific about how to live that out. He's going to get very practical about what we are to do with that. I mean, down into household roles in chapter 5, he gets hyper-specific. like, Okay, if that's our theology, then how should that be manifested? How does that live itself out? So we have orthodoxy in the front half, that's right belief, and that leads to orthopraxy or right practice in the back half. And our passage here kind of serves as the hinge point. It's the hinge point between the theology, the things that we believe that lead into how we behave, how we live, and we all need both. You can't just have one without the other. If you just have a whole ton of belief, but it doesn't translate into action, that is a dead religion. It is dead faith. If all you have are, are some good intentions and some good works, but you don't actually know Jesus Christ, you don't know who he is, I guarantee you this will not last. It will not be consistent. You will ultimately compromise. We must have both, which is why we need maturity, community, and charity, So let's start with the first. Let's talk about maturity. Where do we see maturity right here in the text? Well, look at verse 13 and notice what it says. It says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the son of God. Now that word there in the Greek is epignosis. It means a relational knowledge. So this is not just head knowledge. It's not just a ton of smarts or a ton of facts. This is an experienced knowledge, a relationship Where, yes, I understand more about the Lord, but that is in a context of a real relationship. So I am to grow in the knowledge of the Son of God. Look at the next phrase there. It says to mature manhood. Literally just says to mature man. Right? What does that mean there? Well, the picture is, is of a full grown person. A fully mature person. You're trying to think of a, a full grown man in all of his fullness. What's the picture there? We are not to be toddlers in Christ. We are not to be infants in Christ. We're not even to be teenagers in Christ. You ought to move on to be a fully grown man, fully mature in, in all of your, your capacities and all of your, your, your abilities. We are to be a full grown man. Now, listen, by the way, if that language bothers you for some reason, ladies, if you have problems, to say that you should be growing up into a full-grown man. First off, this is talking about all of us collectively. And if it does bother you, just hang on until chapter 6 where he's going to say that all of us should also be the bride of Christ. And so all of us are to be a full-grown man, and all of us are to be a, the bride of Christ. And so there's something for everybody to wrestle with. There you go. That was all for free. All right, so... Um, But look, that's the picture, right? I'm not simply to be, just get saved and then wait for Jesus to come back as an infant. No, I am to grow up into a mature manhood. All right, look at the next phrase. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. All right, here he's just grasping for stuff. You can see him just trying to grab everything to explain. I want you to have the measure of the stature of the the fullness of Christ. This is what God is offering to us. He says, I want you to have the fullness of God himself in you. Don't settle for less. Don't just settle for the beginnings of this. I want you to have the the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is God's desire for us. It's his desire for you. This is not just for one of us or two of us or a few of us. This is for every single one of us, for all of us together. We are to go into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then look at verse 15. Notice what it says. It says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. We are to grow up. That's God's desire for us spiritually. We are to grow up. Now, now that's an interesting thing because, because look, when you're young, you know that you're supposed to grow up, right? Right? Uh, teenagers, you understand this, right? You, you're growing up, right? That's, you understand that just kind of naturally happens, right? You expect to grow. But at some point for the rest of us as, a, as adults, like we, we just stop, right? You stop worrying about growing up, but we're concerned about growing out, right? That's a problem, right? Or growing old, right? That's the other problem. But we're not worried about growing up. Well, here's what he's saying to all of us as believers, regardless of your age. No, 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 we're all to grow up. And it's strange that we have to keep saying that, but in our culture, you, we have to because something very weird has happened in the past 30, 40 years in American culture. We have started idolizing youth as if these are the best years of your life, as these are the best times of your life, so much so that adults keep kind of craving back. How come I have all these responsibilities? How come I have this? I want to get back to the time when I had no responsibilities. I want to get back to the time when I could do whatever I want. I wish I had my, my youth back as if youth is the best thing ever. Look, there's advantages to being young. There's also disadvantages. You know that, right? We kind of think about, man, well, well think all the things I, I could do when I was young. Think about all the things you couldn't do when you were young. Do you know what happens when you mature? You know what happens when you get older? You grow in ability. Not only that, you grow in Agency. You have responsibility. Why? Because now you have the ability to impact the world around you. You have the ability to help and to nurture and to create in ways that you never could when you were young. This is why he's saying, I want you to grow up. All of us spiritually, we're not just to settle for a little bit. He says, no, I want you to grow up in your faith. And so this is why we are committed to spiritual maturity. No matter how old we are, we ought to all be growing up into spiritual maturity. Let me give you three reasons why we need to do that. Three reasons that will be helpful for us. One's negative, one's neutral, and one's positive. Here's a negative reason why we need spiritual maturity. Look at verse 14 and notice what it says there. It says, so that we may no longer be children... Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Here's the negative reason that you need to grow up spiritually, because you and I live in a storm-tossed world. That's how Paul is talking about it. He says, to think about the world we live in, we are living in a hurricane of ideas. We are living in a maelstrom of ideas And most of those ideas are not right. In fact, they are designed to lead you astray. They are designed to lead you away from the Lord. We do not live in a neutral world. And they bombard us from all sides. This is what you and I are getting, not, not just from here, but you're getting it from social media, you're getting it from television, you're getting it from, from internet, you're getting it from books, you're getting it from friends, you're getting it from the way you, that you grew up, you're, you're getting it from, from all these different sources. There's all these different ideas, and even on social media, when you're looking at, at YouTube, TikTok, uh, Facebook, whatever it might be, they even call them influencers. Think about that for just a second. Everyone is trying to be an influencer. I want to influence the people around me. I want to influence your ideas. This is 24-7 surrounding us. This is the, the maelstrom of ideas that you and I live in. And please understand, many of them are designed to hijack your brain and pull you somewhere you didn't want to go. If Paul were writing today, he said human cunning and and deceitful schemes, I think today he would have added a second phrase. He would have added algorithmic meddling. Because here's what we learned in the past 10 years, that there are literally algorithms that are designed to hijack you specifically. They know what websites that you're looking at. They know what apps you download. They know what TV shows you watch. And they are tailoring things to literally pull your attention away to keep your eyeballs and sell you things. It is what they are designed by nature to do. That's why they're free. Because it's not free. You're the product. They're designed to pull you away. And if you don't have spiritual maturity, how are you going to tell which of these ideas are right and which ones are wrong? If you don't have spiritual maturity, how are you going to know how to navigate this world? If you don't have spiritual maturity, it is like heading out into that hurricane of ideas in a dinghy. You're going to go out there in a little little paddle boat saying, hey, you're going to go check the weather, right? How's this going to turn out for you? You're not going to last five minutes. And yet we just run off into the world watching anything, listening to anything, watching anything on television and assuming it's all neutral. This is going to overwhelm you unless you are developing spiritual maturity. Do you understand what is happening? So that's the negative thing. Here's the neutral thing. You're about to face new challenges. Over the course of the next 10 years, you are going to face new challenges. Some of them good, some of them bad. They're just going to be challenges. Why? Cuz that's what happens in life. You and I are going to face challenges over the next 10 years. Think about the last 10 years. Challenges that none of us knew that were coming. 10 years ago, I was here 10 years ago, just started my pastor. 10 years ago, we had no idea what was coming. We had no idea what was going to happen on the political front and all the polarization that was going to happen that started uh, with the elections and that went on through the pandemic and all those different things. We had no idea the political polarization of our culture. We did not see coming a sea change in cultural values. Think of just back to 2010 and how different it was, the difference in values about sexuality, about marriage, about personhood, about life. The sea change in cultural values that just happened in one decade's times. We had no idea that there would be race riots. We had no idea there was going to be a pandemic that would quite literally lock us in our home for months at a time and, and then put us in all this kind of chaos for years at a time. We are just now getting ahead of it. Listen, that was the last 10 years. We had no idea that was coming and we have no idea what's coming in this next 10 years either. Except for one thing. I'm about to prophesy over you, okay? I can't tell you one thing that's going to happen this next year. All right, the Lord has spoken to me. Here's the thing. I'm about to prophesy over you. I can guarantee here's one thing that's going to happen in your life over the next 10 years. You can bank on it. Put it in your back. Here's what's going to happen. I prophesy over you. You are going to be 10 years older. <laughs> Don't doubt me. Once well, that was easy. It is easy. But why do we ignore that fact? Do you not realize you're going to be 10 years older 10 years from now? Here's the question. Is your faith going to grow like your age will? Because here's a problem, and I see it all over the place. I've seen it in me. I've seen it in some of us. I've seen it in, honestly, every church I've ever been a part of and I've traveled to. Here's what happens. You and I try to tackle present-day faith at our current age with faith that we had from 10 and 20 years ago. You might find yourself being a 40-year-old. And you have a brand new crisis you've never faced before, but you have the faith of a 20 year old, and then you wonder why it's not up to par. See, here's what's gonna happen. If you're a teenager, in 10 years, you're gonna be in your mid 20s. That's a whole new ball game. You're gonna be trying to figure out life after college. You're gonna be trying to figure out life. It's a whole new ball game of things that you're going to have to come to grips with. Those are new challenges. Is your faith gonna grow with that? If you're in your 20s, guess what? You're gonna be in your mid 30s. In 10 years from now. You might not be married. You, you could be married by then. You might not have kids. You would have kids by then. You might have one kid. You might have two or three kids by then. Whole new ball game, Brand new challenges. If you're in your 30s or 40s, you put another 10 years on that. Maybe in your 40s, you're going to be in your 50s or 50s or 60s. You might not be retired. You're going to be retired. You might have kids at home and you're going to be empty nesters. You're going to have all these different challenges. You have no idea. And yet for many of us, our faith is not growing with us. So when we hit those challenges, we are the faith of a child trying to handle the problems of an adult. And no wonder it doesn't work. So why do we need spiritual maturity? Because the challenges are coming. Whether we like it or not, is our faith going to grow alongside those challenges so that when I hit 40-year-old problems, I got a 40-year-old faith to go along with it. We need spiritual maturity. If you don't, here's what happens. You end up being the equivalent of that 35-year-old guy living in his mom's basement. Don't point, right? That's very rude. Look, that's a cliche on purpose. She's like, Look, if you're a full-grown man, then be a full-grown man. Don't be living in the basement. Unless there's some extenuating circumstance that's forcing this, how come you weren't out on your own? How come you weren't doing these things? Well, I was going to stay in the basement. I don't play my games. You know, you just going to stay there. It's time to get up. It's time to do these things. Here's the problem. For some of us, we're the spiritual equivalent of a 35-year-old man living in dad's basement. I'm saved. I'm going stay here. And the is saying, yeah, yeah, but I made you for more. I made you to walk in me. I made you to live in me. I made you for the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why would you miss out on that? You gotta grow up. Man, we need to grow. That's the neutral part. But here's the, the best reason. It's the most positive reason. It's this. Look at verse 13 and notice what he says there. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, mature manhood, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Again, this is is unbelievable. We say those words, but like sit on it for a second and try to understand what Paul just said. Paul just said you could live in God himself. That is stunning. That God's not reserving himself for just the best and the brightest or, or for you when you're 80. He says, no, right now, believer, if the Holy Spirit is in you, you can have the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He actually expanded on this a little bit earlier, and so if you kick back up just a few verses, let's look at the end of of chapter 3 for just a moment. And look at chapter 3, verse 14. I'm going to put this up on the screen, but it's right there if you're in chapter 4. Just look at the chapter previous. We actually looked at this passage at the beginning of the summer. that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's mind boggling. He says, here's my prayer for you is that God through his Holy Spirit would strengthen you with power so that you can know him. So you can experience him dwelling inside of you. And as you do so, you will be thrust into an ocean of God's love that you can't even see the end of. That's how overwhelming and all encompassing it is. I want you to know what what you can't even know. I want all of that so you can have be filled with all the very fullness of God. That is what is on offer for you. It is for every single born-again believer. It is for us as a congregation. Why would we not want that? Why would we settle for anything less? Food and drink and sex and whatever it might be in this world. Why would we settle when the fullness of God is offered to us? this is what he's offering. And look, that's not just here in this passage. You can see this all throughout the scriptures. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, listen, we are going to be transformed into the very image of God from one degree of glory to another. We are in the process of transformation. John chapter 15, he'll talk about abiding in Christ, that when I literally, like a branch in a vine, I abide in him, he is in me, and I am in him, and I bear spiritual fruit. John chapter 14, when I abide in Christ, I will do the very same things that God has been doing. This is supernatural, overwhelming promises that God has for us. This is his design for us. This is his desire for us. And the question is, do we want it like he does? Do we want spiritual maturity like he wants it for us? We say, okay, Adam, then what's the path? How do we actually get that kind of spiritual maturity? It might not be what you think. Look at verse 14 and notice what it says there. It says, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Now, that's an interesting word, and for some of us, it's a scary word. For some of you, it might even be a pejorative word. And you say, I don't like doctrine. You hear words like indoctrination. I don't want any doctrine. But honestly, this shouldn't be a scary word. The word literally means teaching. The word doctrine simply means teaching. Doctrine is simply a set of beliefs. You have a doctrine whether you like it or not. Already, today, right now, you have a doctrine. There is a set of beliefs in your brain. We have cobbled it together from our upbringing, from media, from friends, from our experiences, and from the Lord, and from all of that, we we have crafted a doctrine of how we see the world. The question is, is it right doctrine? Is this the way that it actually is? is this Is the way that God sees the world and sees us? Or have we been deceived by the world around us? It's not a question of whether you want to have a doctrine or not. You do. The question is, do we have his doctrine? And God wants you to have right doctrine. Let me show you that. Here's Matthew 28, uh, 18 through 20. This is what's called the Great Commission. This is what Jesus says right as he's leaving. He says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That word teaching right there in verse 20 is the exact same root word for doctrine. It's the same word. He basically just said, Hey, I've been giving doctrine To everybody, I have taught you and now I want you to go teach everybody what I taught you. I want you to give everybody the same doctrine that I gave to you. I want you to go give it to them. I taught you, you go teach them. We ought all to be learning and understanding what it means to follow after Christ, which is why we always center on his word. It's why every time when we come in here, we're going to open up the Bible. And anybody who stands behind this pulpit, we're going to open up God's word because our opinions are just going to get sucked into the vortex of everything else. But God's word stands forever. It's the only thing that matters. But Adam's all kinds of opinions. I know there's opinions. Get in there and do the work. Because some opinions are worth more than others. Some opinions are based on the word of God and some opinions are based on just our own ideas. How do you know the difference? Well, that takes work. It takes study. I gotta learn. I gotta grow up. I gotta figure out what this looks like. And so, yes, we need to learn the doctrines of the faith. We need to learn the teachings of Jesus Christ. This is why we have the Sermon on the Mount. It's why we have the letters of Paul. It's why we have Holy Scripture so that we can learn. Is it a spiritual priority for you to learn the teachings of Jesus Christ? To not just say, hey, I'm saved, I'm good, right? But no, order no, to get in and say, no, I want to read his word. I want to understand his word. I want to know his word. Let me ask another question. Is it a priority for you to make sure your kids know the teachings of Jesus Christ? You're talking about indoctrinating our children? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Because here's the deal. Your kids are already indoctrinated. Already. It's not a question of whether they're going to understand the world. They will. The question is, are they going to be guided by the word of God? Or are they going to be guided by the culture? Are they going to be guided by God's truth? Or are they going to be guided by a random set of ideas that they saw on YouTube and TikTok? They're going to learn somewhere. Is it a priority for us to make sure that our kids learn the truths of the faith? Our children our preschoolers or teenagers Is it a priority for you to make sure? I want to make sure my kids grow spiritually and I want to invest in their spiritual maturity. They're going to learn. I think it would be wiser for us to say, hey, I I want to make sure they know the truths of the faith. And look, that's not just going to happen. It's just not. It's not just going to happen if you show up at church. It's not just going to happen intuitively. We don't learn these teachings intuitively any more than I can learn physics intuitively. I know very little about physics. All right, here's what I know about gravity. Gravity keeps me on the ground, period. End of my knowledge right there. I am not going to float off the ground. Why? Because I understand that's how gravity works. If you ask me anything else, I don't know. I don't know how to do equations with gravity. I don't know how to quantify its force. I don't know how to use it. I don't know how to understand it. I can kind of intuitively grasp a couple of things, but that's it. If I want to learn, I got to study physics. Hey guys, you can intuitively know, God loves me. Good, great. You know there's a whole lot more, right? There's so much more. There's so much more joy. The measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ he is offering to us is going to require that we learn, that we grow, that we mature, and grow up in our faith. And so, look, if that's the case, if that's what God's desire is for us, how do we get there? Let me give you three quick things that are going to help us here. First off, is this we need to admit to our need for growth. We need to admit to our need for growth. I, I'm not trying to come down on a couple of you say, How do I know I haven't been reading my Bible? I'm, I, that's not what I'm saying. We all need to grow. All of us, no matter how old we are. No matter how many years we've been a believer, there's so much more to know. And the Lord is drawing us forward. We need to admit, God, I need to grow. This needs to be a priority. I'm going to have to invest in it. It's not just going to happen. I choose to admit, God, I need spiritual maturity. Would you help me to grow up so that 10 years from now, I am more like you than I am right now? Do do you believe that? Like at your core, do you believe I need to grow up spiritually? I need to keep growing spiritually. We all do. And look, I'm not talking about Bible knowledge. This doesn't just mean, well, you just need to know where Habakkuk is. You know, that, that's not what we're talking about. This is not about random knowledge. We're talking about experiential knowledge. We're talking about lived out knowledge. There's a difference between cramming and learning. We know that, right? You know what cramming is. You remember that? We had a cram for a test. The test was coming. They told you, "Did you study?" No. And then you, but it's tomorrow. So what do you do? You stay up all night studying for that test. And when you get up for the next day and you're going for the test, you walk into school and it's as if you've got like thirty plates balanced on your head. Like, uh, 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 give me the test. Give me this. Don't talk to me. Don't talk to me. I don't want to talk to you. All right, just give me the test. Give me the test. All right, you got it. Got it. All right, here we go. Ready? All right. <laughs> and you dump that stuff on the test and you can make an A. I have proven that, right? And you can get an A doing that. But if somebody asks you a week later, hey man, you got an A on that test. What was the question number 24? <clears throat> I don't know. <laughs> but you got the answer then. Oh no, I forgot. I, got, I crammed it, man. I, I knew it for like a day. Like, but I didn't learn it at all. Look, anybody can just learn a couple Bible facts. Anybody can get smart on their own. We're talking about learning. Growing in him. Do we admit that we need to grow? Here's the second thing. Work with the Holy Spirit. Work with the Holy Spirit. Back in chapter three, he says, I pray that you would be strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being. Look, you and I can't change ourselves. We can't actually make ourselves grow. We can't. We can't make ourselves become more like Christ. That is a supernatural ask. But here's the great news. If you're a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you. He's in you, and his desire is to help you grow. And so he literally can do the impossible in you. No matter who you are, no matter how long you've been gone, no matter what you have done, no matter why you think you've disqualified yourself, or you're not smart enough, or you're never going to get it, God says, I can do the impossible. I can show you how to live in me. I can show you, I can transform you into my very image. This is a supernatural task that needs to be done and praise God, he wants to do it in you. And so don't put pressure on yourself to do it all on your own. The Holy Spirit will do this in you. Surrender to him, live in him day in and day out and you will see this spiritual growth. And here's the third thing, you need to commit to consistent training. You need to commit to consistent training. If you wanted to put on 20 pounds of muscle, you can't do that this week. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how much you work out. Doesn't matter how much you want it. Doesn't matter what you inject yourself with. You can't. You're not going to put on 20 pounds of muscle in a week. Can't be done. But you can put it on in a semester or a year when you consistently train. Spiritual growth is the same way. Look, you can't grow spiritually just all in one fell swoop. You can't have it in one experience. It's going to be consistent work. We say, you know what? I'm going to make worship a consistent priority in my life. I'm not going to be here sporadically or only when I feel like it. Oh, I, need, I, need, I need the worship of Jesus Christ in my life with the people of God. I'm going to make that a priority we got Double Oak University coming up in a few weeks, man, where you're going to have an opportunity to have classes to fill in gaps in your schedule. You can say, hey, I'm going to commit to the full six weeks. I'm not going to kind of trail off after the first two. I need to be there. I need these things. I'm not going to allow myself to get distracted. We have community groups. We have Bible studies, women's Bible studies, men's Bible studies. We have accountability groups. There's so many different options for you to say, listen, I'm going to commit to this because I need it. And if you will commit consistently to walking with the Lord, you will see spiritual growth. You will you just will. And if you don't, you won't. You just won't. If you and I commit to surrender to the Lord, you and I will see this kind of growth. It is possible for us, but we have to see it and say, I guess I need spiritual maturity. But one final thing, That's actually incredibly important in this whole thing. We're we're talking about this in some sense as individuals, but when Paul's talking here, he is not just talking to us as individuals. He's talking to us as a collective. We are to grow up into mature manhood, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He's talking to a congregation. And so this isn't just about you. It's about us. And this is why we need to do this together. And I'm about to freak you out. All right, here we go. So here's what you and I need to understand. Freaked out yet? I'm freaking out for you guys. All right, here we go. Listen, I promise i to spit. Uh, look, Ronnie doesn't care. Um, here's the thing. I need you to look around and recognize that this isn't just about you. It's about us. Do you see the other people in the room? This, this isn't just about you. God's calling us to do this right now. Us, as a people, and you need to see it's this people, not some other anonymous group of people, these not anonymous people who are sitting with you in the room. You're going to be with many of these people for the next 10 years. If God's calling you to be a part of this church, these are the people. When you see kids in the room, these are the kids we've got to help train up and love and serve and encourage. And it's us, and please understand, things are going to change in the next 10 years. There are teachers in this church we're not going to have 10 years from now. Do you know why? Because the Lord's going to call some of them home or he's going to lead some of them to other churches, which means I need some of you to step up. In the next 10 years, you need to become a teacher. You've never been a teacher, but God's going to call you to be a teacher or an elder or a deacon or a community group leader or a Bible study teacher or somebody who can help train our students or our kids. He said, Adam, I've never done that before. That's why we need to grow in our maturity. All of us. Because the next 10 years are coming, whether we like it or not. It's an amazing opportunity right here in front of us. And praise be to God, you don't have to do it by yourself. We get to do it together when we decide that, yes, we collectively as a congregation want to grow in spiritual maturity. So do this one: me. Bow your heads and close your eyes where you're at. I have zero idea what's going to happen in the next 10 years. I got thoughts. They're 50-50 at best. God does. He knows exactly what's going to happen, and he puts us in certain places and certain times, and it may very well be that he's calling you to be here. Doesn't no matter where you were before, God's calling you to be here. I say, this, this is the place where I want you to be. These are the people. And I'm going to do things in and through you that maybe you thought were impossible. Through this congregation, you you can be helped. You can be encouraged. You can be challenged. You can be healed. You can be nourished. The Lord might want to pour that through you, through the other people in this congregation, but He also wants to pour through you into this congregation. Say, hey, I need you and your spiritual maturity so that you can help lead others, so you can serve others, so you can love others. But we got to grow up into that. And the time to do that is now. And so for whatever God has in store for us, what if we made a declaration all together today, this morning, where we said, we want to follow after the Lord. We want to grow up in you. We want that spiritual maturity, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Can you imagine what O Community Church looks like with the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, filled by his spirit, We're not simply given grace and and forgiveness and love. We're also given empowerment and giftings and opportunities and the indwelling of Christ himself that we might join him in his work and see God's kingdom come and his will be done right here as it is in heaven. That is the opportunity in front of us. And so heavenly father, I pray that you do it. We're so grateful for what you've already done. God, so many things to give you praise for, but you're not done, not by a long shot. Lord, could you build in us that holy hunger, just a hunger for your word, a hunger for you, a love for you and for others. Lord, could you change us, transform us, mold us to be like you. Father, help us not to to settle or even be willing to settle for what we just had, but instead, Lord, to crave the maturity that you would bring to us, the joy, the life, the amazing giftings that you made us for. Father, keep our eyes focused on you as we look in your word, as we grow in you, as we follow after you in obedience, that you might be glorified. So Father, bless us, unite us, be glorified in us. And Lord, in this brand new season and opportunity, we'll give you all the glory for it. We love you, Lord. Thank you for what you are doing in us in this particular season. In the name of Christ, we all said Amen. Let's stand up and let's worship the Lord together.